Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Uh, We thank you for our church. We thank you for our church family. Today especially, Lord, on Awana Sunday, we thank you for this great uh, ministry that we have to the young people here in our church. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for our kids in Cubbies and in Blast and Awana, and uh, just so grateful for the ways that you are revealing yourself, yourself to them, Lord, in these great programs. And Lord, we just pray for each of those kids, boys and girls, that they would come to to know you more, come to uh, know of your love and grace, that they would trust you with their whole heart, and uh, and that you would plant seeds of faith in them at this young age that would uh, continue to grow and blossom throughout their lives, Lord. We also thank you for the many men and women who serve in these programs. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness, and we just pray that they too would be blessed and encouraged as they have a chance to see the the fruit and the impact uh, that their service is making, working with the kids here at Lakes Free and in our community. And Lord, now as we turn our hearts to your word, we just pray that uh, your spirit would open our eyes, uh, humble us to be receptive to what you would teach us today as we continue looking at this theme of, of you, Jesus, as our good shepherd. And today, as we think about the, the ways that we are secure in you as our good shepherd, I pray that this message would be an encouragement to us. I pray that it would uh, inspire us to live more faithfully for you as your people. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be comforted and take great courage and hope from the knowledge of who you are and, and all that you promise us as, as your people. And so, Lord, uh, help me to communicate clearly now. And uh, give us open hearts and open minds to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, when I was a a young kid growing up, I had a a good friend, a good buddy. uh, And uh, we grew up together from the time we were little kids. And when I got to be about junior high age, I discovered something a little bit interesting about my friend. You see, uh, right around, you know, 7th, 8th grade, we started doing sleepover parties. And when I would go over to this friend's house, I began to notice that each night before we would go to bed, he had a strange set of behaviors, a strange routine that that he would go through before he could go to bed. You see, he would go up to the front door of their house and he would turn the lock and he would turn it again and he would turn it again like three, four, five times. And then he would go to the door leading into their garage off their kitchen and he would do the same thing. He would go and he would turn the lock and he'd turn it again and he'd turn it again and he'd turn it again. And then he would go around the house and he would check a bunch of the different lights in the house. He would turn them on and turn them off and turn them on and turn them off. And, and, you know, as a little kid, I didn't think much of it. But as we got older, I started to realize, I think, and this is really peculiar, strange behavior. And as we got older, I discovered, and my friend shared with me, that he had what is called obsessive-compulsive disorder. And, and so for my friend who had this, this disorder, OCD, one of the ways that he comforted himself, one of the ways that he found security and assurance before going to bed at night was, was going and checking all the doors, checking all the locks, checking all the lights. And, and he would have to do this over and over again uh, until he found a sense of peace and security within himself having performed these various rituals. Now, when I was thinking about that this week, it led me to think about the reality that many of us here in this room this morning and and those of you watching online today, I I would would be willing to bet that most of us don't suffer from this this, uh, situation of obsessive-compulsive disorder. 
Most of us probably don't go through these kinds of rituals and routines each day. And yet, if you're honest about it, I'd be willing to bet that all of us have our own rituals and routines that we perform in order to find peace and security and assurance in life. For you, it might be watching the stock market each day. Or or maybe it's your exercise routine. Or your beauty regimen. Or the bottle you turn to. Or maybe the relationships you chase. Or it could be even the good deeds you perform. You know, if we think about it, I think all of us have these rituals, these routines in our lives that we look to for a security, for a sense of assurance, for a sense of peace. And there are countless things like this that we turn to in our lives looking for peace and security. But the reality is, friends, as we all well know, none of these things provides ultimate security, do they? Of course they don't. If they did, we wouldn't have to keep going back to them over and over and over again. I'm reminded of the words of Jeremiah 2.13 where, where God said of the Israelites, the people of Israel, that they had hewed out cisterns for themselves. Cisterns were like wells. They had hewed out cisterns for themselves, God says, broken cisterns that hold no water. They, they had leaky wells, if you would. And what God was saying is that the Israelites had turned to all of these other things in their lives looking for peace and security and assurance. And yet all the stuff in the world that they went to looking for that peace and security ultimately left them wanting. They were like wells that had run dry, broken cisterns that hold no water. And you see, friends, the reality is that we need to understand is there's only one There's only one true source of peace and security in this world. And that's a life lived in relationship with God. The one true source of peace and security and assurance is is God and living in a relationship with Him. And that, friends, is the message that Christ has been conveying to us here in this powerful chapter, John chapter 10, which we're continuing in this morning. In John chapter 10, Jesus speaks of this theme of of being the good shepherd. And last week we talked about all that that meant. We we talked about the reality that we are sheep and and, and that he is our shepherd. And he is the one who, who wants to provide for us and lead us to abundant pasture and show us life and life abundantly. And yet we talked about how as sheep we so often stray from the shepherd and we wander from the shepherd and and we're seduced by false shepherds in our world that seek to lead us astray. And, And yet all along the true shepherd, the good shepherd, calls us by name. And he says, follow me. Let me lead you into life and life to the full. And now today as we continue on in John chapter 10 in the second half of this chapter, In verses 22 to 42, we're going to look more at what it means to understand Jesus as our good shepherd. We're going to look at some of the implications of that reality for us as God's people. And and today in our passage, we're going to look at three scenes from our passage. Three scenes in this short section, but each of these scenes has some very powerful truths to speak to us, to convey to us as as God's people. Let me read our passage for us, 
John chapter 10, verses 22 to 42. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screens behind me. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because he said, I am the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. What a fascinating account here, friends, of this encounter between Jesus and and the Jewish religious authorities. And again, we see the the pressure and the opposition to Jesus Christ mounting. Remember, friends, we are now walking the road to Calvary with Jesus. From this point forward in the Gospel of John, we are getting closer and closer to the ultimate arrest and crucifixion and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we see the opposition now rising. As I mentioned, we're going to look at three scenes from this passage. In each of these scenes, there are some powerful truths, some powerful truths that we as God's people can take and understand about who God is and His will for our lives and and what He calls us to as His people. The first of these scenes that I want to highlight is found in verses 22 through 24. And here at the opening of our passage, we find the shepherd surrounded, the good shepherd surrounded. John tells us that this scene took place during the Festival of Dedication. Festival of Dedication was one of the major holidays in the Jewish faith. It is still one of the major holidays in the Jewish faith today. Today, you may better know this festival as the season of Hanukkah. This was Hanukkah that they were celebrating, also known as the Festival of Lights. And Hanukkah dates back to 165 years before Christ, 165 B.C., when the Jewish people revolted against the Greek empire and the Greek king, 
the Seleucid king named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes, who had desecrated the Jewish temple. And when the Maccabean Jews revolted against Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, they ultimately kicked them out and, and then were able to cleanse and rededicate the temple to God. And so ever since that time in 165 B.C., the Jews have celebrated this festival of dedication, the rededication of the temple. Why is it called the Festival of Lights or Hanukkah? And you know that, that the Jews on Hanukkah will light the menorah candles. And they do that because at that time, 165 B.C., after the Jews had rededicated the temple and kicked out the, the Seleucid king, Antiochus Epiphanes, God miraculously provided light for the temple for eight days. After all the candle oil had run out, the lights in the temple remained lit for eight days. And so to this very day, the Jews celebrate this great act of God in, in what we know as Hanukkah. It was the rededication of the temple. It was the celebration of light. And friends, I want us to think about the significance of this scene. Here is Jesus again in the temple at the time of this feast of dedication, Hanukkah. And here at this festival where the Jews celebrated the dedication of the temple, where they celebrated God's miraculous light, here was Jesus, the true light of the world. The, the one whom the Jews should have truly been dedicating themselves to. Instead, instead of celebrating Jesus, the light of the world, and, and dedicating themselves to him, here at the outset of our passage we find once again, rather than praise, persecution. We see the increasing persecution of the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus Christ. In verse 24, we read, the Jews gathered around him. That, that phrase can be translated, surrounded him in the Greek. And the Greek word there for surrounded, friends, this isn't the idea that they formed a circle around Jesus so that they could all play, you know, ring around the rosy together. No, this was a nefarious type of surrounding. This was an ominous type of surrounding. The Jews surrounded Jesus. They gathered around Jesus, and we know that they didn't have good intentions at heart because, as we see later in our passage, they try to stone him, they try to kill him, then they try to arrest him. They were out to get Jesus. And so here we see the good shepherd surrounded, increasingly facing the persecution of the Jews. Now, you might be thinking, well, what kind of lesson can we take away from this scene, Pastor Jason? Well, friends, I want us to understand this morning, and this is so important for us as God's people to understand as we live in this world today. If Jesus was treated like this, if Jesus was treated like this, then we shouldn't be surprised when we as his people also face opposition in this world. Understand this, friends. If our master was treated like this, we shouldn't be surprised when we as his people face the same kind of opposition in our world today. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus shared it with his followers. Starting in verse 16, he said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. 
Verse 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 24 and 25, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub or the devil or Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? Friends, what's Jesus saying there? Jesus is telling us, he's telling his people to be prepared to face opposition and persecution for the sake of his name, because of our allegiance to him. And of course, we know, friends, that over 2,000 years now, the Christian church has faced persecution all around the world. We've prayed here at Lakes Free for years and years for for the persecuted church around the world, Christians all over the world today who who face persecution and and only because they choose to follow Jesus, only because they, they desire to gather for worship with one another to praise Jesus. We've been fortunate here in America not to have to face this kind of persecution as God's people. God's uniquely blessed our country for over two centuries, and yet we're beginning to see, even here in America, the increasing opposition to the message of the gospel, to the mission of the church, to the will of God for our land. We've seen this reality play out more and more in recent days. Even even in just the last week, we saw examples of the increasing opposition God's people are facing, even here in the United States of America. This past week, for example, Focus on the Family, a terrific Christian ministry, had their Twitter account suspended. Why? Because Focus on the Family dared to tweet a scientific fact about transgender individuals. In fact, they they highlighted the fact that a transgender woman is really a biological man who believes that he's a woman. Now, Now, that is simply a statement of scientific fact, but for making that statement... They had their Twitter account suspended just this week. Just this past week, Dr. Robert Gannon, who's one of the leading evangelical theologians in our nation today, he's one of the leading experts on the biblical teaching on human sexuality. He's written some great books on that topic. Teaches at Houston Baptist University. This past week, Dr. Robert Gannon had his Facebook page suspended. Why? Because Dr. Gannon defended a post speaking in opposition to President Biden's executive order to allow transgender individuals to serve in the U.S. military. He, he wasn't being disparaging of these people in any way. In fact, he, he was overly loving and expressing the truth that the gospel is for all people. And that all people are people who are worthy of being loved as being image bearers of God, created by God, children of God, and yet... Friends, we don't love these people by denying the truth about how God made us and what his will and plans are for us. And so for stating these biblical truths, Dr. Gannon had his Facebook page suspended. Last weekend, a California church was firebombed. You may not have heard about that on the nightly news. But a church in California was firebombed. 
They're still investigating the reasons, but this is a church that had been already facing opposition in the culture there for its stance on the LGBTQ movement, and they had already faced a variety of persecution for that stance, and just last week their church was bombed. These kinds of examples are increasing in our world today, friends, and and I would argue we need to be ready for more of this kind of thing. This is likely only the beginning as our new president's administration has promised to advance the deceptively named Equality Act this year. If you're not familiar with the Equality Act, it is legislation that would gut religious freedom, women's rights, parental authority. And friends, don't think there won't be consequences for dissent. And so we need to ask ourselves as God's people, Are we willing to count the cost for following Jesus? Are we willing to count the cost for standing on the truth of God's word? Are are we willing to count the cost when it may cost us our Facebook page or our jobs or the ability to engage in the public sphere? In Luke chapter 14, Jesus shared with his disciples, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He goes on in verse 34 and 35. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says, just like salt that's not salty is is really worthless, so too is someone who claims to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and yet is not willing to count the cost the sacrifice for following him, to stand firm for the word of God and what Jesus has revealed to us as the truth. Friends, if they treated our master like this, we shouldn't be surprised when they treat God's people like this. Are you willing to count the cost? Are you willing to count the cost? Now, you might be thinking to yourself this morning, Pastor Jason, wait a minute here. I I thought we were talking about peace and security today, right? I mean, holy cow, how is any of this supposed to make me feel more secure? But friends, I want to remind us here this morning, our security is not to be found in this world. We do not win in this world. And we too often look to the things of this world for our assurance, for our peace, for our security And there's only one source of security, friends, and that is our hope in Jesus Christ. Like one of my great heroes of the faith, that great 20th century martyr missionary Jim Elliott said shortly before he was speared to death in the jungles of Ecuador, taking the gospel to the Aka Indians. Jim Elliott, writing in his journal, said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Friends, are you willing to give it all? The the, the stuff of this world, the things that you can't keep anyway, to gain that which we cannot lose, eternal glory in the presence of our God. Friends, I'm going to promise you something this morning. 
whatever Jesus calls you to give, it pales in comparison to all that you will gain in following him. And this leads me to point number two this morning. The the second scene that we see in our passage this morning in verses 25 through 30, we see the sheep secured. We, We see how we as God's people, his sheep, are secured in the loving care of our good shepherd. Here in verse 25 through 30, Jesus returns to some of these great themes that we saw him teach on this past week. Some of the greatest truths of the Christian faith. And Jesus here is not only teaching to encourage us as his people, but he's also seeking to warn those who haven't yet put their trust in him. To to not miss out on all that is available in him. Let's take a look again at verses 25 through 30. Jesus, after being surrounded by these opponents, by the Jewish religious authorities, he, he answers them, I told you, I told you about who I am, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Here in this passage, Jesus reveals three great truths for us sheep. Three great truths for for us as his people. Number one, he tells us that true sheep follow the good shepherd. Number two, he tells us that true sheep receive life from the good shepherd. And number three, he tells us here that true sheep are eternally secure in the good shepherd. Friends, isn't that good news? Aren't those truths great news for those of us who know the Lord? Jesus says, number one, true sheep follow the good shepherd. We saw this last week in this teaching of Jesus He says, my sheep hear my voice, my sheep know me, and and when I call to them, they follow me. Here Jesus is teaching the the great doctrine of election that that God has ordained those who will come to to follow Christ by faith. And, And when God calls them, when the Holy Spirit calls them, when Jesus calls them, they hear his voice and they follow him. My sheep know me and they hear my voice and they follow me. Last week, I was sharing this uh, teaching with our staff and Pastor Ken, our senior associate pastor. Pastor Ken grew up on a farm as a boy, and as a boy, it was his duty on the farm to take care of the sheep. And Pastor Ken said, Jason, what, what Jesus says there is absolutely true. Pastor Ken said, when I was a boy, my dad gave me the, the commission of taking care of the sheep on the farm. And it was amazing, Jason, because my dad and I, we would go out to the, to the barnyard where the sheep were gathered, and my dad would call the sheep. But the sheep wouldn't come. They wouldn't follow my dad's voice. But when I went out to the sheep, the one who was their shepherd, their caretaker, when I called to the sheep, the sheep would immediately follow. The sheep would immediately follow because they knew that he was their shepherd. They knew the voice of their shepherd. And in the same way, friends, Jesus tells us that true sheep, his sheep, his sheep hear his voice and they will follow his lead. You might be thinking to yourself this morning, Pastor Jason, how do I know if I'm really a sheep of the good shepherd? 
You ever wonder that, friends? How do I know if I'm really, you know, if I'm really saved, if I'm really secure in Jesus, how do I know I'm really one of these sheep? Friends, the answer to that question is really easy. Do you follow his lead? Are you following the shepherd? You see, the true sheep follow the shepherd. If you want to know if you're part of the flock of the good shepherd, are you following and then we, we saw last week how the good shepherd, as we follow his lead, Jesus told, told us in John 10.10 10, that as, his, as the good shepherd, he leads us into abundant pastures. He, he says in John 10, I've come that you might have life and life abundantly. It's interesting, this past week I was reading a, a story of a pastor who had led a tour group in Israel. And uh, as they were at one of the historic sites they were visiting, the pastor was sharing this truth from John 10 about how Jesus calls his sheep and his sheep hear his voice and how the good shepherd gently leads his sheep, right? The good shepherd doesn't drive his sheep. No, he calls them by voice and they follow. They follow his lead. And, and as the tour group got on their bus and was headed to the next destination, they were driving down the road and they saw a man with a big flock of sheep. And this man was behind the sheep with a staff driving the sheep, getting the sheep to move, driving them, pushing them forward. And the people on the bus were like, wait a minute, pastor, this doesn't sound like what you just described to us. And so the pastor stopped the bus driver. He said, hold on, hold on. You got to stop her. You got to pull her. I got to see what's going on. And so the pastor got off the bus and he went down and he talked to the man and the people on the bus were all watching, you know, what was going on. And the pastor gets this big smile on his face and he comes back on the bus. And he said, that's not the shepherd. That's the butcher. <laughs> Friends, the shepherd leads his sheep. Shepherd lovingly calls and guides his sheep and they follow his voice. He's a loving shepherd. And we saw that last week in that great psalm, Psalm 23. As Jesus says here in our passage this morning, true sheep receive life from the good shepherd. And remember last week in Psalm 23, King David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Get this again, friends, the imagery. The shepherd's leading the whole way. He's leading, he's leading into this abundant life. And then David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Friends, have you ever wondered about that, that imagery there? What, what, what does David mean when he says, even though he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil? That, that's an interesting phrase, right? What, what does that mean to, to be in the valley of the shadow of death? Well, this past week I came across an image that I thought, was a great illustration of, of what David's conveying here. It was a picture of a little girl at the zoo. And here is this little girl, you know, probably four or five years old, and she's standing outside the safety glass of the lion's enclosure. And here is this massive lion. I mean, the lion's head is as big as the girl, and this lion could have eaten her up in one single bite. And yet, standing just a foot away from this massive lion who could have easily killed her. Instead of facing the lion, she faces only the shadow of the lion. Why is that? It's because between her and the lion was the safety glass. 
And because of the safety glass, she doesn't have to fear the lion. She faces just the shadow of the lion. And you know something, friends, I saw this picture this past week. I thought to myself, I, I bet this is somewhat of what King David was talking about. When he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You see, friends, like that safety glass in the picture that stands between the child and the massive lion, so too does our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, stand between us and the reality of our greatest fear, the fear of death. Jesus stands between us and, and the reality of death. And so for those of us who trust in the good shepherd, there need not be any fear of death. And why is that? It's because when Jesus is leading us, when the good shepherd is leading us, we don't face death itself. We face just the shadow of death. As our good shepherd, Jesus has faced down death for us. And he has given us eternal life. And so even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need not fear. The Apostle Paul explains what Jesus did for us in Romans 6.23. Paul tells us that the wages of our sin, the, the penalty or payment for our sin is death. But here's the good news. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, friends, all of us, because of our sin and our rebellion against God, deserve death. That's the punishment for our sins. Our rebellion against a holy, perfect God leads to death, both physical death and eternal death, eternal separation from God. But God was not content to leave us in this dire circumstance. God, in his great love for us, sent his son into the world. And when Jesus Christ came into the world, Jesus Christ went to the cross. He laid down his life in our place. He paid the penalty that each of us deserved to pay. And because he was the perfect representative of all of us, fully God and fully man, as, as Hebrews calls him, the perfect spotless lamb of God, the once for all time sacrifice, he went to the cross and laid down his life and applied our sins to his death. He died so that we didn't have to. And because of him, we can have life because of the good shepherd, friends. And not only life, but, but what's more, as we saw earlier, true sheep are eternally secure in the good shepherd. It's not just life and eternal life, but it's an eternal life that comes with eternal security. You're forever saved when you trust in the good shepherd. You're forever secure in the loving hand of our good shepherd. Look again at John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one, Jesus says. Jesus says, if you're one of my sheep, if you've followed me and trusted in me and have life in me, you can trust that your life is eternally secure in my hand. No one, no one can ever snatch you out of my hand. Jesus says, my father is greater than all. 
Now, you might be thinking to yourself this morning, well, how great exactly is our good shepherd? How great, right? Jesus says he's greater than all. How great is this one who holds us and keeps us in the very palm of of his hand? Friends, can we really trust him as our ultimate hope for true and everlasting security? I want to share an illustration with you this morning to help us understand the greatness of the God who holds us in the palm of his hand. In Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, the Apostle Paul tells us that we can know about God, his, his nature and his character by what he has made. There are things that we can know about who God is, his, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature. We can know these things by looking and observing at what God has made. And so this morning, friends, I want you to consider some of the wonders of God's creation. For example, how many of you have ever gone outside at night and looked up in the sky and and looked at the the myriad of stars in the sky? Friends, have you ever wondered how many stars are in the sky? Have you ever tried to count the stars in the sky? Do you know that astronomers tell us in a conservative estimate is that there are probably 10 trillion galaxies in the entire universe? And and that's a conservative guess. 10 trillion galaxies. Now, our galaxy, which you can see in the picture here, is known as the Milky Way, the Milky Way galaxy. And astronomers estimate that in our galaxy alone, there are over 100 billion stars just in our galaxy. Now, if you take that 100 billion stars in our galaxy and multiply it by the 10 trillion stars that they think are in the whole universe, you end up with a number, one septillion stars in the universe. What does that mean? One septillion. Friends, that's a one with 24 zeros after it. And astronomers say that's a conservative estimate of how many stars there are. One of these stars is one that we know well, the sun, at the center of our solar system. According to NASA, this one star, the sun, during a single second converts 4 million tons of matter into pure energy. In one second, four million tons of matter into pure energy, which equals 90 billion megatons per second. Now think about this. The entire generating capacity of the earth, the entire energy generating capacity of the earth in a single year produces only 60,000 megatons of energy. All the power plants in the earth produce only 60,000 in a year. So in one second, the sun produces over a million years worth of energy for planet Earth. In one second, over a million years of energy. And friends, if God can hold a septillion suns in the palm of his hand, can we not also be confident that he is great enough to hold us? This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in God's creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That's in Christ Jesus our Lord. The God who holds a septillion sons in the palm of his hand, friends, is strong enough to hold you. That's the security that's ours in the Good Shepherd. The third scene that we see in our passage this morning, and in verses 31 through 42, we see the wolves silenced. The wolves had surrounded the shepherd, and, and now in verses 31 through 32, after having no way of missing what Jesus was saying, I mean, in verse 30, Jesus made it about as obvious as he could. He says, I and the Father are one equating himself with God. And so now here in this final scene, we see the Jews once again seeking to destroy Jesus like a pack of howling wolves encircling their prey. And remember, friends, these were the people who were supposed to be Israel's shepherds. But instead of shepherds, they were really wolves in sheep's clothing. Here in verses 31 through 42, we find Jesus, the good shepherd, silencing these rabid wolves with a master class in divine revelation and logic. Let me read verses 31 through 39 for us again. So the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Here again, friends, the Jews had no response to Jesus. Jesus has silenced the howling wolves encircling him with his divine logic. All they could do in their prideful resentment of Jesus was to try and arrest him. But as John makes clear, Jesus' time was still yet to come. Jesus makes an interesting statement here to the Jews to silence these rabid wolves. They're accusing him of blasphemy for calling himself God. And yet Jesus says to them here, he says, doesn't the word say that you are God's? Hasn't God declared to you, you are God's? And that's an interesting statement there, right? I mean, what does Jesus mean when he says you are God's? Well, here, friends, Jesus is referring back to Psalm 82, verses 6 through 8. And in Psalm 82, 6 through 8, God says to the leaders of Israel, You are God's, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, the true God, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So here in the Old Testament, we see that God did refer to human authorities as gods. To understand this, we need to understand the Hebrew word that's used here for God. It's the word Elohim. And in the Old Testament, there are two words for God, Yahweh or Elohim. 
Here in Psalm 82, the word Elohim is used. And Elohim can refer to the one true God, or it can be used in reference to human authorities, like princes and kings and judges. And so here in Psalm 82, God is speaking to these human authorities. He says, look at you like gods, okay, sons of God, sons of the Most High, you had been given the authority to rule and judge, but you've done it wrong. You've corrupted the authority I've given you. You've, you've rebelled. You've led unjustly. And so now I am going to arise, the one true God, the one true shepherd of my people. This is what Jesus is saying now. So he says to the Jews, look it. If even God calls you gods, and I call myself the son of God, what Jesus is doing here, friends, is he's basically making an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, look, if the false shepherds of Israel were called gods, what do you do when the true shepherd appears? If those who were supposed to lead and guide their people justly were called gods and they failed in that, and now someone comes and he truly does lead and guide justly, what do you make of that? Jesus is essentially saying, don't miss out on the obvious truth that's standing right in front of you. Now again, friends, remember the context of our passage today. This was the festival of dedication, Hanukkah, the celebration of lights, So don't miss the irony here. The the Jews had come to celebrate the dedication of the temple and the miraculous light of God, and yet here in the house of God they missed his presence standing in their very midst. They missed the one who was the true light of the world. What a tragic mistake. What a tragic loss. Friends, don't make that same mistake. Don't miss out on the obvious. You've heard the truth. You've heard the truth of who Jesus Christ is as our good shepherd. Please don't miss out on the security that's found in him. Let me close with one last illustration this morning. One of the iconic monuments or landmarks in our nation is is the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. It's known as one of the the modern wonders of the world. It's a mile-long bridge that spans San Francisco Bay. The Golden Gate Bridge was built in the 1930s over five years at a cost of $77 million. But in the first year, construction of the Golden Gate Bridge ground to a halt as the workers refused to work any further. You see, in the first year of its construction, over 20 men fell to their deaths from the bridge and the workers refused to work anymore. The engineers who were in charge of the project decided that they would build a safety net for the mere cost of $100,000 pittance in the grand scheme of the whole cost of the project. They built a safety net for $100,000 and slowly confidence returned. After that safety net was installed, another 10 men fell, but they were saved by the net. And then work began to pick up at a pace 25% faster than before, all because of a simple net. And friends, just like that safety net, the message of Jesus to each one of us is so simple. Jesus says, follow me. He says, follow me. It's a simple message, yet 
The rewards are so profound. Life and life abundantly. Eternal life. Eternal security. Friends, a simple message with profound consequences. Don't miss out on the security that's found in our Good Shepherd. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the reality that you sent your Son to be our Good Shepherd. And that in Jesus Christ we can know true life. We can be confident of eternal life. We can have the hope of knowing that we are sure and secure in the palm of your hand. And no one can ever snatch us away. Lord, we thank you for these great promises that are ours in you, our Good Shepherd. I pray, Lord, that as your people we would live boldly for you and faithfully for you and keep our eyes on you, trusting in you, hoping in you, knowing that we are ultimately safe and secure. No matter what should come our way, we are secure in the loving hand of our Good Shepherd. God, if there's anybody here this morning or anybody watching online this morning who hasn't responded to that simple call, your simple invitation to follow me, I pray, God, that they wouldn't miss out on that opportunity, that they would turn to you even right now, confess their sins, acknowledge their need for you as their Savior, and in turning to you that they too might discover the security, the abundant life, the peace that's found in you. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are and all you've done for us, and we pray this in your great name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. God bless you, friends. Go in the security of the shepherd this week. Hi everybody, Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church, you can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.